from the city of brotherly love. This is Shark Bite Biz with David Strausser. You just arrived to the newest episode of Shark Bite Biz. I'm your glamorous, sometimes wannabe host, David Strausser. This is your place to learn how to grow a business during complete global chaos. Today, it's all about the technological goods. First, though, do us a favor. Please download the Shark Bite Biz app exclusively on the Android Google Play Store. Just search Shark Bite Biz. Download the app, install it. You get every single audio video version of the show right there. Again, just download the app. It can't be easier than that. So let's get back to today's show, okay? Real quick intro for today, but we're going to be talking about being carbon neutral, what that actually means. I mean, I even had some misconceptions. I was kind of sort of right, sort of wrong, but we get some clarity from someone who's an expert in the field. We'll also be talking a lot about Salesforce, who's going through a turbulent time right now. I mean, they just had some major layoffs the past week or so, Um, but hey, You know, that is the economy in which we live in. Big tech is doing that across the board. And most importantly, we're going to be talking about picking a technological partner. Uh, You know, whether you're looking at ERP like what I do with SAP Business One by design, S4 HANA, all that good stuff, Sage Inchak, or you're looking at something like a CRM, like Salesforce or a HubSpot or whatever that solution is, you know, We got some solid advice from a solid expert on how to pick your next technological solution. So who do we have today? None other than Ellen Williams. Ellen Williams is a director of advisory and ESG services at Orion Global Solutions. Her years of experience as a technologist and business consultant enables her to create and deliver services. She helps clients achieve alignment of their business processes and technology platforms, which improves their productivity and efficiency. Ellen's work also facilitates her clients' growth and impact on the planet. And finally, Ellen is also a member of the Forbes Business Development Executive Council, where just so happens to be both of us actually met. So, hey, without further delay, let's bring Ellen right on in here. Tech for your biz. Ellen, welcome to Shark Bite Biz. You, my friend, you just became Shark Bait. Oh, my goodness. I want to say I'm real excited to be here. <laughs> uh, well, I hope you are. And as I said in, the, in my introduction, you know, Ellen is a fellow Forbes Biz Dev Council member, just as myself. That's where we hooked up because uh, I try to bring you all the best and brightest minds we can to do those three G's, the personal growth, professional growth, and business growth. And Ellen definitely has that knowledge to be able to help you grow. So Ellen, before I go on any further, we have a tradition on the show. We have to ask everybody, okay, what's your background? What's your experience? What do you do for a living? How'd you get there? Basically, tell us in a nutshell, what makes Ellen, Ellen? All right. In a nutshell, I have um, have a couple decades of experience in technology. I started as a bookkeeper, was introduced to a computer uh, and jumped right into uh, accounting software. I built a career helping businesses uh, with accounting software early on. 
uh, transitioned that into um, more advice around processes and how to select the right software. Had the opportunity to transform into CRM software. Got a couple certifications there. Um, moved from there into marketing automation and worked at Constant Contact for four years or so, doing a lot of public speaking and then moved from Constant Contact into hmm, what do I really want to do now and sort of pulled everything together and landed happily at Orion Global Solutions, which is a Salesforce partner. And my role there is director of advisory and ESG. So I don't actually implement Salesforce. Um, I work with our clients on their alignment of technology and business processes and their sustainability stuff. Okay, so ESG, what does that actually stand for? That is an acronym. Maybe we use a different acronym, uh, but I don't know what that stands for out of the box. And I'm sure a lot of our viewers and listeners are probably wondering the same thing. <laughs> so ESG is in the realm of sustainability and it stands for environment social and governance and it covers everything uh throw some more acronyms at you dei right diversity uh equity and inclusion uh and really all of that within an organization um how they treat the planet and how they treat their people and how they treat the community okay yeah that's great we've had a couple people on the show as of late that have um one of them was from australia and she was she was great, um, and then we also had another one that's a tech startup, Finch AI. And you know, one thing I think when people talk about those types of things like ESG is there it's either you're right or you're wrong, and that's where these people, um, both ladies, again, one from the U.S., one from Australia, uh, it was amazing how similar they thought and. You know, they've never met each other, but uh, it's a much more nuanced discussion in those areas than just right or wrong. You know, there, there's many levels of gray in between. And, you know, some of the things that uh, they've talked about kind of blew my mind away, you know, like uh, plastic straws, for example, that she was saying, you know, the carbon output to produce one metal straw, you have to use essentially is the same as using a hundred plastic straws. So unless you're using uh, the metal straw at least a hundred times, you're better off using plastic. And, you know, this, I'm thinking, wow, this is like someone from the environment that's actually like has all this analytical data and stuff like that. Like that really blew my mind. I mean, so how much of the nuance like that do you get into with your advisory role in those different aspects? Uh, so that was fascinating. Thanks for sharing that. Learned a lot of great things on the, the show that I never thought I would ever hear, especially if you have someone that's out there trying to protect the environment. And, you know, you it's like, really? Oh, OK. Uh, it was pretty amazing. Yeah, there's definitely things out there that are counterintuitive to what you think they would be. At, at Orion, the ESG services we offer is the implementation of Salesforce Net Zero Cloud, which is carbon accounting. So we advise our clients on ESG around where you're going to get the data um, and how that data is going to be utilized and calculated to the way carbon accounting works is it's broken down into scopes and different types of 
um, activities go into those different scopes. And this tool really takes all the guesswork away. What can you define real quick? What is carbon accounting? Because I'm sure people are asking that question too. They may not know what that is. So we're we're talking about putting carbon out into the um, into the air, and almost everything we do has some sort of carbon emission, right? You just noted the the metal straw versus the the plastic straw. Plastic straw, yeah. Right, and so for everything we do that is able to be quantitative, so um, my electric bill, right, tells me the kilowatts. Well, there are what they call emission factors, and they're by region, and there are a lot of different uh, things that go into an emissions factor. But basically, you take the amount of energy that you are using off your utility bill, multiply that by the emission factor, and you get your actual carbon emissions. And that is carbon accounting. So you're accounting for the emissions that your activities are, are are producing. Right. I mean, aren't there, and, and I could be wrong, maybe it's a different country, but because of the fact that uh, that's something I don't, I mean, my viewers know I do ERP with SAP and Sage, but um, I, I don't really have to get into the nitty gritty of it as far as the carbon emissions, stuff like that. I mean, isn't there some kind of um, like carbon cap or credits or something like that? Or am I thinking of the wrong country that I'm hearing that from? Like, or is that just some states? Like, fill me in on that area. So carbon emissions are pretty much global, right? So they're not per country. But I mean, as far as how much you're able to use, because I've, I've heard, I thought like there's markets where you can buy or trade carbon credits, for example, to be able to emit more, say you're not using all your credits, you're, you're, you know, like you're, you're using less than your told amount, you're able to go out and sell your extra credits and stuff. I've heard of those things going on in the news. Let's, let's put all those myths away. <laughs> okay. I could be wrong. I'm just saying what I've heard. People don't get like carbon um, budget. Right? It's not like, okay, you can go have this much emission and you can have that. that. That's not the way it works, right? We want to reduce everyone's emissions. And that's what the whole net zero, right? The terminology, I want to get to net zero where I'm not doing any carbon emissions. So that's a difficult task. And for some organizations, depending on what business you're in, that may be an impossible task. That's where carbon credits come in. So say I had an, you know a certain emission factor last year, and I'm bringing it down. I'm less emissions this year, but I, I, there's no way for me to get to net zero. So the only way for me to get to zero emissions is to buy a carbon credit. So someone else's, um, so if someone else reduces their emissions, the difference between what it was and what it is now can be sold as a credit. Now, that's a very blanket statement. There's a lot of red tape and fine print that goes along with that, right? So if you were able to reduce your carbon emissions by a certain amount, and that's just the amount I need, I can buy that credit. So your deduction can offset my emission. Okay, okay. So 
I was kind of wrong, but I was kind of right too. Yes, you were. You were in the ballpark. I was in the ballpark at least. I just didn't understand exactly how it how it worked. You scared me for a minute, like, oh my god, I'm making up fake news. But no, I uh, um, I was kind of in the ballpark, so that that's a little bit comforting that I kind of know what I'm talking about a little bit. Uh, let's jump into some of the other areas that you're really good at too, like. For example, uh, selecting new technologies. I have my two talking points that I always do whenever I do a podcast interview. And um, I have two main points that I always try to make uh, when you're selecting a new, uh, you know, tech stack uh, solution. Uh, but I'd like to hear what your advice is. Then I'll tell you what mine is and let's compare notes. So the first step is to understand your requirements. Businesses really need to understand what they're trying to accomplish because the technology is going to work best when it aligns not only with what you're trying to accomplish, but the processes that you have in which to do that. And certainly what we find at a lot of our clients, processes that are in play today were developed based on technology they bought a decade ago, right? Because the way things used to work in your various platforms, whether it's CRM or ERP, right, um, you had X amount of steps. And so now that's your process. But if you're ready to go with technology that's available today, because the platforms look and feel very different than they did, and they're streamlined, um, you can look at, well, here's my requirement. So to be more specific, in my case, we do um, Salesforce, which is a, a platform, but predominantly known as a CRM. Um, so I need to be able to track my leads and opportunities, but I want to be able to um, schedule follow-up calls and then just have my calendar populated and I don't want to have to think about these things. So when you start developing those kinds of requirements, then you can go out and look for a product that does what you need it to do. Um, and then secondly, you look at your processes and that's where you can then implement a technology that not only meets your requirements, but can assist with streamlining some of those processes. Okay. Okay. So that's pretty close. I, what I talk about is I honestly combine like your two points. I combine those pretty much into my first point. And to sum it up is where I tell people, you've got to make sure you get the right solution. If you don't get the right solution, if you get the wrong solution because somebody just dropped their pants and they're giving you like, oh, like NetSuite does, like, oh, we'll give you 80% off, you know, uh, that, that you know, makes it hard. It's at times you're, you're buying off a price instead of what actually fulfills your needs. So you need to make sure that you're buying the right solution. If you don't buy the right solution, you're going to have a failed implementation. The second point then that I bring up, and this is where somebody like Vision 33, or in your case, where Orion, um, you know, comes into play, is you have to have the right partner because not all publishers of the software end up uh, selling direct. Uh, SAP, for example, I mean, you've got to be a very large customer, uh, you know, like a Nestle or a Philips in order for them to, to sell direct or implement. Uh, usually it's done through a VAR value-added reseller network, a partner network, kind of like your company is with, with Salesforce. 
that that's how it is with SAP. That's how it is with Sage. Although Sage also does direct as well too. Uh, but you got to make sure that you have the right partner that's able to implement your solution as well too. Because if they don't implement it successfully, okay, you're going to have a failed either a failed implementation that would be just as bad as if you picked the wrong software solution. Or you're going to end up having a vanilla implementation that really maybe it fixes some of your critical needs, but it's not really utilizing the system to the full force and capability of what it could do to address all your needs. And they're pretty much the two talking points that I usually end up going with. And it, it seems to have an impact on people like they understand it then when they look at it, you know, in those two separate parts, like, okay, one is software. Uh, and it's kind of weird because in a way it's like, I'm encouraging them, okay, find your software, then go out and kind of shop and find the best partner that's going to be able to take care of you throughout, not only just your initial implementation, but also post implementation. What does their support look like? What about future upgrades? You know, how do they handle that? Or if you need to add on more solutions, How's those processes look? You know, you've got to kind of keep one eye on the present, but also have one eye on the future as well, too, to make sure that there's that that roadmap with both the product and also with your partner. What, what do you think about that take? I totally agree. Um, pretty much when we're in an advisory engagement, we are the partner, even prior to the selection. Um, now, I must say, not every one of our advisory engagements Number one is for CRM. So in which case we're not the partner and we do work with them on, well, which, you know, which partner are you, are you working with? Um, and number two, even if it is CRM, um, they don't always pick Salesforce. So even with Salesforce in the running, if it's just not the right match for them, um, then it's not. And so our advisory service is, is technology agnostic. Um, however, if we're in there and their selection is Salesforce, then we are the partner. And so that doesn't come up. The need to select the right partner doesn't come up as often because hopefully they've already selected it if we're in there at all, right? Right, right, right. No, that that that's very, very true. And, you know, for me, as a sales rep, I would have been more like, no, nope, no, nope, no. Nope. Just sell it and let delivery figure it out. But now that I'm the general manager and running the region and have to deal with the deals that my sales reps sell, that's where my opinion is, no, no, this is going to be a disaster. We don't want to sell this. Uh, you know, we want to stay away uh, from this. This is like a pending disaster. And that's where I put on the brakes when necessary. It doesn't happen often because I want to make sure they're getting the right solution because if not, who's going to have to clean up the mess? Me. So I, I kind of have the visibility into that as well too. And that's where I kind of add my two cents in during the sales cycle. Like, you know, how much of a fit are we for all their needs and their business. I mean, if we're talking 50%, because if it's only 50%, then we can't fill the other 50. We probably shouldn't be selling it. I kind of feel like you can't be 100% for every single business, but you you know, you know should be able to get at least, you know, I, I think at least out of the box or with your main go-to add-ons that, you know, every software solution has things that they kind of view that are, you know, this is what we sell every customer and 
because we work with these tools and it makes your implementation easier and you can do more. But if it's outside of that box and you're not at least, I'd say that 75 to 90% range, depending again, what the company's goals are, short-term and long-term, they might only want 75% immediate because maybe they only want to do financials, accounting to start with. And then the production, we can get that to 100% or 95% uh, later on, but that's, you know, two years down the road, then, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take it at that. But it really, really, it kind of, it goes back again to the first talking point there about the, the needs and the pain points that the customer has and how well they are defined. Um, what drives me nuts? Well, it doesn't drive me nuts. That's the wrong word. I'd say... The hardest thing for me is we we typically classify customers in in two groups. We have sophisticated and unsophisticated. Now, if I call you unsophisticated, that doesn't mean that I'm calling you dub just for people out there. It just means that you haven't been through an implementation before. You might be using QuickBooks. You've never gone up to a Salesforce or an SAP or a Sage or one of those tier one type solutions in there best of class areas. And that's fine. It just means that, you know, you might not be able to understand what you want. And that's where it's a little bit more work because that's where then I find you've got to really educate the customer and, you know, hold their hand a little bit more to help define what their actual pain points are and verbalize what they actually want to move towards. Do you find that as well with your customers? Uh, I do. Uh that's what our advisory services are all about. We do an envisioning session. We talk to the C-suite or leadership as far as the, what are your goals. We talk to uh, represent, representatives throughout the organization, um, up and down and across, not everyone, but you know they, they pick certain people so that we understand what the processes are, what the pain points are. Um, certainly that helps with adoption as well when you get people across the organization involved with the conversation early. So without a doubt, our advisory services help our clients get to those requirements. Um, and I also wanted to uh, respond to your, if we're not a good fit, right? And, and I think that shows integrity for any partner that says, you know, here are your requirements and we're just not going to be able to deliver on that. And I agree with that. And so Salesforce has different flavors, right? They have a, they have sales cloud and service cloud and consumer goods cloud, and the list goes on. And certainly at Orion, we have our subset of clouds where we have expertise. So if we do have a client that's looking for um, the basic you know, Salesforce, and then some of the other clouds where we don't have expertise, then we partner with other partners that do have that expertise, you know, so we're able to find because it, Salesforce is such a big product and has so many partners out there. Um, so it's not difficult to find someone that would do something that we don't do. And so we work together to do that. But without a doubt, any partner that you might be working with definitely needs to know their own boundaries and limitations. And if they're jumping over that fence, then you don't want to be the client where they're learning the product on your dime. Right, right, right. No, totally, uh, totally understand and totally agree with that. And we kind of do the same thing as well, too. You know, for example, 
we do a lot of global implementations, but let's say we're implementing a company that, I don't know, maybe they have a sales office down in Peru. We need to do it there. Everything, you know, has a localization as far as tax, uh, law, legal requirements, accounting requirements, stuff like that. Usually what we do is, you know, we work with a partner in that region then that does what we call the localization part. So that way it's up to code, compliance, stuff like that. It's kind of seamless. I mean, they may or may not even interact with the customer. It may just be, you know, interacting with us and then us with them. But uh, we usually will bring in a specialist for those those areas in our partner network. So, you know, there, there's a lot of similarities. I, I'm seeing with how your company acts, how our company ends up acting. So I, I guess the, one of the last topics I wanted to get in here, um, you know, is about the process redundancies. You've, you've talked about, you know, reducing them a little bit earlier on, but it was, you know, because, you know, when you touched on about how companies may have implemented software 10, 15 years ago, and that's how the system was back then. They've got to update it. Let's go into some more detail about that. What other ways do you feel that they can really reduce their process redundancy? Certainly. One way specifically is to have an approval process within the tool itself right? Instead of, all right, you need to see it, I need to see it, you know, how many people need it, this, this on their desk or in their inbox, where instead of things going back and forth, and now it's back to me, and I have to send it to someone else, you can build an actual um, approval process within a, the tool, where when something goes for approval, you can have first approval, second approval, and it's the, the platform itself that's going to move that process along. So it doesn't wind up back in my hands for me to do yet the same thing another time. Uh, so that would, be, that would be one example of something that's redundant, where too many people need to have their hands on it one way or another, and the system can data silos is certainly you know, data entry. Data entry is is redundant processes. I have to enter it here. I have to enter it there. I mean, that in itself brings up um, human error. And now you've got not just redundancies, but you've got inaccuracies. And the, the data silos now have, you know, Ellen Stone three different ways or New York, New York City, NYC, you know, things like that. So certainly <clears throat> the opportunity to either have a single platform, which for what we implement and for what you implement, there really isn't one, right? You're going to have yours and I'm going to have mine. And hopefully they're going to integrate in a way that makes sense. And we're working with a client now implementing Salesforce and they have uh, a custom uh, tool that they use for interacting with their client once the sale's done and we're in the process of, okay, everything you're going to be doing in Salesforce eventually is going to wind up over here. So we want to do that integration. But the key thing in that conversation is which tool becomes the source of truth for what piece of information. So things are going to start in Salesforce because the client originates in Salesforce as an opportunity. When that closes, it'll move the information over to their custom tool, 
And then as they interact with the client, there are certain pieces of information that will push back into Salesforce. So Salesforce has more of a 360, even though it's not going to have all of the details in their custom tool. So as that's another conversation. That's a very good point right there. A single source of truth. And I think that's one of the reasons why I like selling ERP more than I would if I was selling something like um, Salesforce, because uh, not to pit us against each other, but uh, for me personally, the way that I sell is that, hey, look, ERP, you know, again, you got to remember, I work with the small business to mid-market solution. So from one user, I mean, up to thousands of users we can scale up to, depending which solution you're you're looking at in your business. I mean, there's different ways that we can do it. Uh, you know, like we have Payless Shoe Store, thousands of users, but they also have thousands, well, not thousands, but uh, probably about 70 or 80 databases throughout South America. Um, which, uh, uh, was pretty, pretty amazing for us to do. And then we, we have a tool that we built from the ground up. It's an iPass, uh, integration thing called softbox.io. Uh, well, it's softbox, but the website softbox.io. And it's pretty cool because it's a many to many connectors. So whether they need to integrate to Salesforce, but like, for example, let's say the, the example you just gave us. Uh, what we would probably sell it as is, okay, you know, yeah, Salesforce is best of breed. Obviously, it's not going to compete with the built-in CRM that's inside. So no problem. You know, plenty of people want to use best of breed, whether it's HubSpot, whether it's Salesforce, whether it's this or that. Like, we don't fight that because um, it's going to be way better. So what we do then instead is, okay, how do we get that information over? Okay. And... Is it going to be one direction? Is it going to be bi-directional? But the cool thing with what we invented with our softbox is like with the example that you gave is that uh, we are able to integrate it from softbox to that custom solution. And then from that custom solution, you're able to have that just integrate into so it's all using the same tool, but you have different workflows, different triggers. It doesn't even need to be to any ERP if it has to, but ultimately it could push through the ERP. And that's where you get to my point is from doing an ERP sales cycle is that you sell it as like, hey, this is the heart and soul of your business. You know, this is really, this needs to be the single record of truth. And it doesn't matter where the information originates or if you need it after it gets processed in here and uses the business intelligence or the HANA analytics inside of SAP and processes these KPIs or data or marks that has fulfilled or once it gets shipped that you want the tracking number sent back to Salesforce to be able to track after, like all that gets processed, bam, sent out. And then, you know, we have the systems playing nice and work to with each other because otherwise then you have disparate systems that are bringing you back to the silos and it, it, it creates more... Headaches and uh, I mean, we, we live in a great time to where you have tools like this that, you know, 10 years ago, if you had to integrate, you, you'd have to really do one to one point connections. APIs change. Guess what? You're redoing the integration upgrade. Guess what? You're probably redoing the integration now with cloud technology. You're able to have most of that. I, I'd say a good percentage of the time be pretty much seamless with 
you know, upgrades and, and stuff like that, or have multiple different things be integrated into a system with different triggers, alerts, approvals, all those types of things. So it's, it's really pretty cool. I mean, it really comes down to, to budget, to be truthful. I mean, yeah, how, how much you want to pay to get all this automation and stuff done? And does it, you know, is it worth that ROI and that expense that you're going to have with your total cost of ownership? That's the key, right? So you said it comes down to budget, but it comes down to um, what are you saving or what what is it going to enable you to do? So if I'm able to integrate, so we're integrating these two systems and now, you know, the seamless flow of data back and forth alleviates people's time for double checking information, entering information. It allows them to do their job with less stress. It allows the business to have more confidence in their technology and their data. Um, It allows the reports to be much more accurate. Uh, So it does come down to budget. I mean, these, you know, these services aren't free. Um, But I think uh, the, the ROI is, is, a lot of, you know, time and energy needs to be put into the calculation of ROI as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, the, I, I think the smaller the company also, the the harder it is. I mean, the ROI is easy in a sense, but it, it's, I think, harder to sometimes justify the cost, you know, if you're doing five or $10 million a year in business, you know, is a $500,000 project too much for that company? Do they even have the bandwidth internally to be able to manage that? Because again, when we sell the projects, um, you know, we we push it like, hey, this is a, a going to be like a full body transplant. You know, this is going to be painful. It's going to be frustrating. Now, our job is to kind of be the pain medicine and try to make it the least amount frustrating, the the least uh, difficult that it can be, but it's still going because you have your normal business that you've got to manage and then go through the implementation at the same time. And that is, you know, it's a frustrating process for a lot of people because it's almost like doing two jobs until the system's live. But once you get live, you should be like, wow, thank God that's over. But bam, you know, it, it should be instant gratification because it's like now you're, you got through the hard part and now, you know, everything, your life, your work life just got so much easier because you got that new system implemented. So to that point, one of our advisory services is program management for implementation and not just, and not just for our own. I worked with uh, an engineering firm um, that was implementing Salesforce and a product called Financial Force. Um, so Salesforce as the platform, um, there are a lot of other products that are built on that platform. It's almost like a Lego block, right? And so they were implementing all of it. They had already chosen a partner before they found us, um, but we had a great meeting with them. So we came on board and did that program management where they had integration with Concur. They had integration with ADP. And so we remanaged all that from, uh, you know, coordinating, getting everyone on the call, understanding what the process would be, how all the technical aspects of it. So um, the client themselves, we had 
daily stand-ups with them because there were so many decisions to be made. And we, we had whiteboarding sessions with them because they really had no understanding of Salesforce and they had obviously no understanding of financial force and just really needed to digest the way those systems were going to work and how they could see their business strategy and their business structure in those products. And we did a lot of whiteboarding. This was before COVID so that we could be in person. And, um, you know, we just, we would just talk it through because we had the knowledge of the technology and they had the knowledge of the business. And so once we got to decisions, then we would be able to communicate that to the partner doing the implementation. Uh, so that was really helpful for them to have us on board, picking up some of that other heavy lifting so that they could continue to do their day job. Yeah, yeah, no, that sounds that sounds great. I mean, it sounds like with what you do is pretty similar to what we do. So pre-sale, we do something just like scoping, you know, discovery scoping call. And that's done between the sales rep and usually our pre-sales uh, solutions architect who's kind of building out the solution stack they need in order to fill out their pain points or say it like, yeah, this ain't going to work. <laughs> and uh, assuming it does work, if it's very tricky or they need something very custom, then we might have to bring in some outside partners, maybe our director of professional services or one of our delivery managers uh, scopes something custom for them. But that's during the sales cycle. It's really post-sale during the implementation when we do what's called blueprinting. And that's where we, we peel back all the layers of the onion. We do a documentation of all their business processes. And then we translate that into best product, uh, best practices for the product that they've chosen. And, you know, hopefully they accept it. But sometimes they'll be like, hey, this is all good. But this one area, no, this is what separates us from the competition. I understand it's not the best practice, but this is our magic. We need to keep it this way. And, you know, in those instances, then we change it. And, you know, maybe it gives them a little increase in hours. But, you know, we're doing it at their request. I, I would say the hardest thing usually is that, you know, going back again on some of the topics that you talked about earlier is they have sometimes uh, process flows that they implemented 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years ago, and they just do it because of the sake that they're doing it. And they, you know, they, they oftentimes forget like, hey, we're implementing a brand new system here. We can really start from scratch. And instead of duplicating what we were doing in the whole system in a pretty new system. Like, why don't we rethink this to make it better, simpler, and more automatic? That I think is sometimes some of the bigger struggles we have. And I think we probably have those a little bit more with smaller companies uh, than we do with larger companies on our end. Uh, maybe that's just my personal experience of what we've run into, but it seems like with the smaller company, a little bit, you know, like mom and pop shop type things more where they're a little bit more stuck in their way and afraid of change and, and stuff like that. Um, you know, but uh, what do you think about that? You think that's a, a decent point there? Absolutely. You know, um, when, when we have smaller organizations, to your point, you know, things are running the way they're running and everyone's been doing it for years. And I think, you know, um, fear of change is definitely part of that. We had one client we were doing work for and 
we were understanding their process and um, they had a big gap between when they sold the project to when they implemented it. They were in construction and they were fabricators and they did marble. So you can be on a construction project before it's built. And if you're, if you're doing marble, you're not, you're not coming in for months. And so they'd have the paperwork and she had a folder on her desk that said, you know, later projects. And it just, and, and I was like, I'm sorry, you have what? <laughs> and it was up to her to keep checking her folder to be ready to move the project to the next phase so that they could prepare. They didn't, you know, and so they didn't have anything that really tracked that time, reminded them. This was their process. And when we started talking about Salesforce, where, you know, you win the deal, um, the opportunity, right, in Salesforce, and then what we would create for them would be, when is this going to start? What's going to be the next process? What's the next step? So in three months, you want to do this. In four months, you want to do that. And that's going to kick off the project. And you won't have to look at a folder anymore. And and there's there's a security blanket in that folder. You know, this is the way I've always done it. And I I own this information. And now it's just going to be like out there. And so it was it was really in some ways a, a hard um, concept to grasp that you're you're taking this away and this is part of what I do and part of the importance that I bring to this organization. People are afraid, afraid of change, you know, they're like, oh, am I still going to be important without having my folder? Uh, you know, you'll be surprised. But people have to they have to run the technology, right? You, you still have to do whatever her next step was, was still going to be the next step. Just more of an automated process. And I think people, they, they get wrapped up in the details a little bit too much. And they need to think about this as a positive, like, wow, this is going to actually free me up. So now I can start doing X, Y, and Z, you know, instead of this other worrying about like my folder. <laughs> right, right, exactly. I don't get to, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, Ellen. I've had fun. Have you? This is yeah, a good discussion. This is, you know, uh, uh, like I said, I'm director of advisory. I talk about this stuff all the time. I really enjoy Ugh. talking about it. I'm not hands-on anymore and that's fine. This is, you know, the next phase of my career. So talking about this is great. Talking with people who are like-minded or at least in mm -hmm. the same industry, you know, is, is fabulous. It's always, so, always good to have friends, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, especially cuz uh you're out of uh, are you out of New York, am I right? I am. Yeah, 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 and I'm right out of Philly. So there you go. There you Perfect. go. You got the what the they call us the six borough, I believe now. <laughs> so many uh New Yorkers living down here in Philly. But anyways, thank you so much for coming out. This was a great conversation. I love these conversations cuz it crosses over with my day job and I kind of get to talk shop with a like-minded individual, especially someone that's on the Forbes Biz Dev Council with me. So that's especially amazing. Please, Ellen, tell us where people can find our company. Tell us where people can find you. How can they digitally, remember, I'm, I'm staying digitally, stalk you online? <laughs> All right. So you, you can certainly uh, stalk me at LinkedIn. All okay. uh, right, Ellen Williams. And you can check out Orion. Our website is orion-gs.com. So it's O-R-I-O-N-G-S, 
Com. That's awesome. And as everybody knows, we will have the link to Ellen's company down below in the description, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Deezer. Uh, I can go on and on and just so many podcast sites out there, but it's down in the description below. It'll be the first link you see below the description of the episode. Ellen, thank you so much for coming on. You are a rock star, my friend, and you survived being shark bait. Oh, I appreciate that. It was a pleasure. Oh, thank uh, you. I, I hope to have the opportunity to chat with you again sometime soon. Well, when you start your podcast, I got to come on. Fair Dude. trade. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. Cheers. Thanks. Wow, that was an incredible chat with Ellen, right? First, you all know the routine. If you found this interview helpful, if it gave you those warm and fuzzies, do me a favor, hit that like button, smash that subscribe button. But if you really want to help us out because you know Shark Bite Biz is the greatest kept secret in the world of small business, please do us a favor, share us out to your friends or colleagues or family, wherever you dwell on the interwebs with Facebook, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, Minds, just share us out. I'd love to see nothing more than Ellen and Shark Bite Biz out there trending. Now let's get back to the real rock star of the show, uh, Miss Ellen. So a couple things here, okay? First, the carbon credit stuff, okay? Yeah, I misspoke a little bit, but like most business-minded people, I know a little bit about everything, but I'm an expert, a true expert at only a few different areas. So thank you, Ellen, so much for clarifying that and really breaking down how that market really works and giving us all some insight in the carbon trading world, because I think there is a lot of confusion about it. And I think I really embody the confusion that most people probably have. And that's where you were able to give us clarity. So I really appreciate that. Second, I love speaking with Ellen about how people pick a solution, you know, an unsophisticated, sophisticated type client. And again, unsophisticated does not mean that you're dumb. It just means that you've never gone through this process again and you need a little bit more handholding. Um, but really, you know, going through this process and uh, Ellen allowing me to use her time in the spotlight on my show, obviously, to talk about how I usually end up educating people to pick a system and the two main things things that I talk about when I go on another show. So, you know, pretty amazingly for two people that had never spoke before we recorded this episode, I, I thought it was really gnarly that we were both pretty much aligned, that we both had very, very similar points that we weren't too far off from each other. I thought that was pretty awesome. And, you know, it is what it is. I mean, when you have some of the best of the best in this industry, uh, software selection, guess what? There's going to be crossover and people are going to be thinking about the same, maybe a little bit different ways, but they're going to have a lot of crowd, probably more alike than, you know, not alike is what I would say. So anyways, Really awesome stuff, Ellen. I love what you're doing and how you're helping businesses and people grow. It is all amazing. Question of the day, what do you think about picking a new system? How do you do that? Leave a comment down below on YouTube. Do you want to be on the show? If you do, yes, we have a little bit of delay right now. Uh, some things are possibly changing, but shoot out an email, interviews at sharkbitebiz.com. If you're watching on YouTube, please join the channel. For only $3 a month, you can become a baby shark and really support us and help us grow. If not, hey, 
Give us a super thanks anywhere, dollar, $5, $20, $50, whatever you can afford. If you like this episode, a super thanks goes a long way to helping us do the magic that we're doing. Y'all know this by now, but I'll tell you once again, I'm David Strasser. This is Shark Bite Biz. We'll see you all next episode. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Shark Bite Biz. We hope you got some insightful info from this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and visit us on the web at www.sharkbitebiz.com. How has business changed for you in the 20s? Email us at podcast at sharkbitebiz.com so you can join us and share your story. 